Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go with me over to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, it's going to take you a little bit to find that, so we'll, we'll read it a little bit later on. Uh, because it's one of those obscure obscure books in the Bible, right? It's like just kind of nestled back there somewhere in the Old Testament. I don't know where every book is, but I know where the table of contents is in Jesus' name, right? I know where it'll tell me where to go. So if you have your Bibles, go to Nehemiah uh, chapter number six and then Proverbs. You can just hold on to Proverbs. We'll read a verse there. Um, But I've been enjoying this collection of talks uh, about God's will. You know, we did at Easter, we did this little survey, uh, spiritual survey, where we asked people where they were at on their spiritual journey. And then we also asked if you you could hear us talk about any topic, what would you have us talk about uh, from God's word? And the number one thing that people asked about was God's plan. What is God's plan, God's will for my life? I think you and I, we we all, we want to discover that. That is that we, we just want to know, like, God, what do you want me to do, right? What do you want me to do with my life? Because when we try to make decisions on our own, a lot of times, I don't know if you've discovered this, but I have, a lot of times we end up regretting some of the decisions that we've made. Like, how many of you in here, not by showing your hands, but just by maybe winking at me, uh, if, if you could go back and look at the pages of your life, there's a few pages you'd like to just kind of tear out of that book and kind of throw those away. Some of you are like, I have chapters I'd like to remove, Okay, we, we've all gone through our life and we've made decisions, maybe financially, relationally, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your business, maybe in, in, when you're in college, whatever. We, we all have decisions that we've made over the course of our life and we look at them and we're like, gosh, there's a little bit of regret there. See, here's why, because your life and my life is the sum total of the decisions that we make. Our life is the sum total of the decisions that we make. It's important that we're not just kind of on you know, here on this big blue rock called earth, making decisions all by ourselves, but that we are leaning into God's guidance, leaning into his desire and his preference and his will for our life. And he gives us his will, not for our consideration, but for our obedience, for our application. That's why God speaks to us in our life. And so uh, week number one, we talked about Remember those three things? We talked about the providential will of God, the moral will of God, and the personal will of God. Just for a little review, in case you weren't here. The providential will of God are those things that God's going to do no matter what. Like you don't have to pray and ask him to send his son Jesus. He just came. We don't have to pray and ask him to send his son Jesus to come back. He's just going to do it. It's his providential will. That's the things that God's going to do no matter what. Some people call that the sovereign will of God. But I like to call it the providential will of God. The second one is the moral will of God. Remember we talked about how the moral will of God, that's those things that God uh, has asked us, outlined in Scripture, has asked us to do or not to do. It's the moral will of God. Like we don't have to pray, like should I you know, sleep with my girlfriend or my boyfriend? Uh, should I cheat on my taxes and then I can give more to the church? We don't have to pray about those things. The moral will of God is outlined in Scripture. It acts as some guardrails for our life, some boundary markers for our life, and we, we stay within those boundary markers, moving our life forward. We actually said this, that the more surrendered you are uh, to the known will of God, it paves the way to discover the unknown will of God. So essentially, here's what that means. That as we're familiar with the providential will of God, the things God's going to do no matter what, and as we're obedient and surrendered to the moral will of God, the things we already know that we should do or should not do, the more that we do that, we are, have actually postured ourselves and positioned ourselves to be able to clearly hear from God the personal will of God for our lives. So we talked about that week one. Uh, we also talked about seeking sages in week number two. That is that we talked about how a lot of times God will reveal his will or his plan for our life by surrounding us 
with good godly counsel that we can ask the right people the right questions and wise voices will produce wise what choices you get the wrong people around you saying the wrong thing listen dumb voices dumb choices okay you get you get people around you that are saying no i really think you should just quit that job without having another job in front of you listen never burn a bridge until you've built a boat amen okay you need to get some wise people around you that have some experience in their life that have nothing to lose and nothing to gain from the decision you make and let them speak into your life pray about that and a lot of times we just said that practically god will use people that are objective to help you make good godly decisions God likes to use different ways. And uh, Pastor Josh talked about Jesus being the good shepherd, how he leads and guides us last week. And so this week, as we conclude this collection, I, I, I was just thinking, like, what should we talk about? I was praying about it, asking God, like, what, what do you want us to, to discuss today? And, you know, you could talk about the authority, you know, how God places authority in your life. And a lot of times he'll speak through authority. He does that with parents. He does that with spiritual authority in your life. I could talk about that, but I decided not to talk about that. Sometimes God will use our spiritual gifts to help um, help guide us towards uh, a future for our life, help guide us towards God's purpose and plan for our life. He'll use that. There's many different things. He can just use just good old wisdom, just asking the, the question, in light of my past experiences, my present circumstances, what's the wise thing for me to do? So there's many different things we could talk about. But today, I really felt like wrapping up this um, with a principle from God's word, and, and maybe at surface value, you, you may think, like, that sounds more like a business or leadership, organizational kind of principle. Listen, this is straight from God's word. This is such a great principle. And the reason I want to share with you this principle is this principle that I'm going to share with you today. It has literally, it has changed my life. It has saved me from making a lot of dumb decisions in my life. It has helped me in just about every area of my life. Uh, it's helped me relationally with my friendships. It's helped me with choosing who to, who to marry. It, it's helped me with raising my kids. It's helping me with our church. It's helped me financially. This principle, if you can grasp this principle, I really believe that this can help you in discovering God's will for your life. This, this one principle right here, some of you are like, just tell me the principle. <laughs> I'm building some tension. I want you to want it. I want you to want it. You don't want it. You don't want this principle. Okay. Here's what it is. I, I'll tell you what the topic is. It's vision. I want to talk to you about vision. Is, is a lot of times what gets us in trouble is we have many options and, and high emotions when we're in the decision-making process, and we, we can oftentimes make bad decisions based on the pressure of the moment, uh, the cloud of emotions, and the array of options that are in front of us. And what I've discovered is if we can make our decisions based on good godly vision that he has given us, then when we begin to make decisions based on vision and not emotion and not on pressure and not on circumstances, we can begin to take steps forward in the God-given plan and purpose for our life. We're going to talk about vision for a little bit today. Let's go. I heard you, Andy. Let's go. Write this down. Helen Keller. Now, now, now listen to this. Helen Keller was blind, if you didn't know this. Helen Keller said this. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Isn't that good? The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And one of the primary ways that God will direct you and will guide you and will direct me and guide me in this life is by giving you a big picture vision for every area 
of your life. Here's the, here's, if I were to give you like kind of the principle, this would be the principle. If you miss this, you might as well just go to lunch right now because this is why we have gathered today. God wanted to speak this principle to you. Here it is. As the vision gets clearer, the options get fewer and the decisions get easier. As the vision gets clearer, the options get fewer and the decisions get easier. See, a vision is a picture of a preferred future for your life. Vision is basically, it's a destination of where you want to end up. Listen, this is not a Tony Robbins talk this morning, okay? I'm going to give you some verses that are going to help you because this is a godly principle. I believe that the people of God, that is followers of Jesus, we should have clearer vision than anyone else in the world. We should, because why? Because we have the word of God, we have a relationship with Jesus, and we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, guiding us and giving us clear vision for our life. The clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. I believe that God has a multifaceted vision for your life. That is this. He not only has a grand overarching vision for you to become like Jesus, molded and sculpted into the image of Jesus, both in character and conduct. That is his overarching vision for your life. You want to know what your purpose in life is? It's not to have a business. It's not to, you know, build some company. It's actually to become like Jesus. You can build the biggest company, but if on the inside you never become like Jesus, you've missed the mark. The overarching vision that God has for your life is to become like Jesus. But it's multifaceted, and God has a vision and a destination for your relationships, for your marriage, for your family, for your finances, for your morality. God has a vision that is a preferred future, what could be and what should be true of your life. It's not just about your vision, it's about his vision. He has a multifaceted vision for your life. Write this down. Vision is a mental image of what could be fueled by the conviction of what should be true of your life. I love what Joel Osteen says. I love it. Joel is just like the happiest human on planet, even if you don't even like Joel Osteen. Listen, how could you not like him? He just smiles and he's got great hair. <laughs> this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. You know, I love it when he does that. But look what Joel says. Joel said this one time. I was listening to him talk. He said, you will move toward what you consistently see. Isn't that great? You will move toward what you consistently see. It's not just about your vision. It's about God's vision. And this is where I want you to land today. There's, here's the category of thinking I want you to get to in the decision-making process. I want you to begin to pray and think like this. I wrote this down. Lord, give me a clear picture of a vision for my marriage, my family, my finances, my relationships, my career, my spirituality. Lord, give me a clear picture of what could be fueled by the conviction of what should be true for my life. That's what we're going we're gonna to move towards right now. Do you have that puzzle? Give me that puzzle. Where's that puzzle? Is that right? Okay, here we go. Here's what vision is like. How many of you in here, by a show of hands, you like putting together puzzles? Okay, I don't. I hate puzzles. <clears throat> I've never liked them. I don't, I don't, like, Ikea is like puzzles from hell, putting together Ikea furniture, okay? That's what that is. Thank God for the Swedish, okay? But... <clears throat> I don't like puzzles there because you have, there's, it's just, it's very challenging. My kids love them. My wife loves them. My, my, my wife, I have like an 80,000-piece puzzle set spread across our house, putting it together. I'm like, dear God, I need to go to counseling right now, okay? <clears throat> but you know what the most important piece of the puzzle is? I used to think that it was the corners because I've always heard if you have the corners, you just put the corners down first, and then you can begin to piece it together. 
But, but the most important piece to a puzzle is actually the lid. Because the lid shows you a picture of what could be and what should be true if all the pieces came together. See, a lot of times all, we have the pieces of our life and they're... Man. Get me going. Man, you're going to make me preach up in here. <clears throat> I'm telling you what, one of the most frustrating things is when you, when you have a puzzle that's all up in a Ziploc bag, so ghetto, up in a Ziploc bag, and you've lost the box. It is virtually impossible to put together a puzzle without the lid because, because the lid is a picture of what could be and what should be true if every single piece came together. The sad thing is, is that many people charge out into life with a lot of pieces, but without a picture. A life with pieces without a picture will always lead to a mess. Maybe not a mess completely, but I tell you what, life will be so frustrating. Life will seem so complicated trying to figure out how this piece fits with this piece and how financially this fits and relationally and my marriage and all these pieces, and they can't fit together because you don't have a picture yet. God wants to give you a picture for your life. He wants to do that. I love this. Michelangelo, the great artist, he said this. He said, I saw the angel in the marble, and I carved until I set him free. See, Michelangelo would get this vision, this picture of these statues, and remember the great David sculpture that he made, and he would have sent to him a huge block of marble, and he would see something that others didn't see. The Pope actually asked him, he said, how, Michelangelo, how did you... How did you carve this David, this beautiful, magnificent sculpture, David? You know what he said? I love this. He said, I saw David in the stone, and anything that did not look like David, I simply cut it away. He had a vision, and he was cutting and carving. Listen, we have to get a vision for the key areas of our life, and with the decisions we make, we need to begin carving out the reality we believe could be true and should be true for our life. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, it says, where there is no prophetic vision, I'll tell you what that means in a moment. We don't use that word a lot, but it's such a good word. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people do what? They cast off restraint. They cast off restraint. New Living Translation says it like this. When people do not accept divine guidance, that's what prophetic vision is, divine, God's guidance, they do what? They run wild. Listen, God wants to give you vision, not to restrict you, but to restrain you and to give you some parameters and some rails so that you can move forward in a way that will be productive, be efficient, that you'll be able to move forward, that will be life-giving, not going off the rails relationally or financially. Like how many times have you just made some decisions financially, relationally, or whatever, where you found yourself in a place you go, how did I end up in this place? It could be that you didn't have vision for your life. And here's the thing. You may say, well, but, but I do have vision. I have, I have some vision for my life. Like, I, I want to get married one day. I have some vision for my life. I want to retire one day. Listen, that's not vision. As long as your vision is general, it's not helpful. As long as your vision is general, it's not helpful. If it's just like, I hope to have kids one day. That's great. What are you going to do when you have them? I hope to get married one day. What are you going to do? Whenever she walks down that aisle and you're just standing there like, okay, we're married. I mean, what, you, we have to have vision, and the clearer the vision, 
the fewer the options, the easier the decision. For some of you in here, you, you run a business and you have vision for your business. And you know that, like you're sitting there and you're listening to me and you're like, oh, this is good because I tell my people this all the time. Vision leaks, you got to, you know, vision sticks. You got you to gotta communicate vision, vision, vision. The reality is, is a lot of people in the business world, a lot of people, they know this principle to be true because they studied it in school and they've read enough Harvard Business Review and they have vision for their company, but they don't have vision for their family. They have vision for, for their organization, how we're going to move product to profit and we're going to explode this thing and we're going we're gonna to scale it and we're going to go, we're going to franchise it. We have all this vision of where this thing's going to end up in 20, 30 years and we're going to have all that, we're going to take all this ground, we're going to make all this profit, it's amazing. But you go and ask him, hey, tell me your vision for your spirituality. Tell me your vision for your relationship with your wife. And a lot of times we'll have vision for the things we think that matter and we have zero vision for the things that really matter. I'll never forget one of my mentors, uh, he asked me not too long ago, he said, share with me the vision of your church. So I was sharing it with him. He said, share me some of your cultural values. Share those with him. He said, share me some of the cultural phrases that you have for your church. So sharing those. Generosity is our privilege. Passion is our response. You know, Jesus is our message. I was sharing those. He goes, oh, my gosh, that's amazing, Jason. He goes, now, share with me your vision for your family. Crickets. Just like that moment, that awkward moment, like an awkward turtle right there that is like upside down turtle. You know, they're awkward. Just It was awkward on the phone. I'm on the phone with him. I had no vision to articulate for my family. I had no, no cultural values for my family. I had no cultural phrases for my family. And a lot of times we have vision for what we think matters, but we don't have vision for what really matters. So we're going to unpack that. For just a moment. Nehemiah chapter 6 best illustrates this, even better than a puzzle. This best illustrates this idea of getting clear vision. Because the clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. If you haven't noticed, I'm going to say that 57 times, so you got to catch it. Clearer the vision, fewer the options, easier the decision. Uh, Nehemiah is an amazing leadership book. If you're a leader here, uh, you're a business leader, you're a leader in, 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 in the education kind of world, this is a great passage of scripture for you to study. For you to, to look into really the whole book of Nehemiah. It's a leadership book. It's a book about vision. Um, essentially, here's what the story is happening here is that the people of, uh, of God, the Jewish people that were living all in Israel, um, basically they came and uh, the Babylonians came in and they destroyed Jerusalem, broke down all the city walls. If you've ever been to Israel, been to the old city Jerusalem, beautiful walls there all surrounding the, the great city. But Babylon came in, they destroyed the city burn it to the ground. The walls were broken down, breaches everywhere. It's in complete ruins. Then they, then they basically took all of the best and brightest, the artisans, the nobles, the craftsmen, uh, all of the influence, uh, influencers of Jerusalem, took them and they exiled them and brought them over to Babylon and they kept them there. For about 70 years, they were, they were there in Babylon. And so for 70 years, Jerusalem laid in ruins. The walls broken down, the place in complete rubble and complete ruins. And finally, after about 70 years, the people of God, the Jewish people, started from all over the world, start coming back to Jerusalem. And the idea was that we're going to go back to our home, we're going to rebuild, and we're going to restore the ruins, and we're going to try to get on with our life. And Jerusalem, the, the holy city, was really important to them, and the temple that was in ruins was really important to them. And so you got to understand, them going back, I, I just imagine them ascending to that place and seeing the place in ruins and just feeling so hopeless, like how are we ever going to rebuild this? Well, so they all come back, and uh, the, the Bible picks up in Nehemiah 1 and 2 there, and it's cataloging this 
story about a guy named Nehemiah that was a cupbearer to the king over in Babylon. So he's 200 miles away from his hometown, Jerusalem. And while the rest of the Jewish people have gone back to Jerusalem, he stayed working right there for the cupbearer. One particular day, um, he had some of his family, they come back to visit him in Babylon, and he asked them, hey, tell me about the city. How's it coming along? How's Jerusalem? Are the walls being rebuilt? Is the temple being restored? How's it coming along? And they begin to tell him about the condition of the city. The Bible says, here, this is what his response was. He just began to break down and he began to weep and cry because of the condition of his city. And there's a phrase we say here, if it's my city, it's my responsibility. I have a lot of people in San Francisco, they talk bad about our city. Listen, do something about it. If, it's, if we have pride that this is our city, then it's also our responsibility. Right there, Nehemiah, in this moment, he just begins to weep and cry because he was bothered and broken with this idea that his city was in ruins and it should be different and it could be different. And he wanted to do something about it. So in that moment, he begins to get a burden. Write this down. Vision almost always begins with a burden. Vision almost always begins with a burden, a frustration, uh, being disturbed or bothered. God loves to comfort the disturbed. He loves to disturb the comfortable with a, with a burden. And he can, he can give you a burden for something, and then he'll begin to give you a vision for it. Nehemiah starts getting a burden for his city. And then he begins to just think about what could be and what should be. Read it when you get a chance. God begins to download in a very prophetic way, a very supernatural way, this clear, this picture, clear picture of the walls of Jerusalem being restored and rebuilt. It wasn't a vision of the temple being rebuilt, which that later would come. It wasn't a vision of necessarily a bunch of homes being rebuilt. But his assignment was the wall. God began to give him this vision of seeing people mobilize and come together and resources come in to restore and rebuild the walls of the city. Finally, the king uh, begins to talk to him and, and says, hey, what's going on? Why, why, why the long face? You know, why, why are you so burdened? What, what's bothering you? And he begins to share his vision uh, with the king, and the king grants him permission to go back to Jerusalem, actually provides resources for him to be able to work on it. They go back to the city, and for about two months, they're diligently working on this vision. One vision, singular vision. They're clear and they're focused. Anything that adds to the vision is a yes. Anything that doesn't is a no. And they're working. As a matter of fact, when you read through the whole book of Nehemiah, it only took them 52 days to rebuild the beautiful walls of Jerusalem. But I want to pick up the story in chapter 6. Because while they're working on this wall, they had some people, Sanballat and Tobiah, some adversaries in that region that they felt threatened by Nehemiah, they felt threatened by the vision, and they wanted to stop this vision from coming to fruition. And so they begin to attack, and they begin to try to distract, and they begin to try to work against them. And this is what happens. Here's the story. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now when Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, Although, up till that time, I had not set up the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, come and let's meet together at, I can't even say that word right there. Uh, we'll just hakamagawa. In the, <laughs> in the plain of Ono. Okay, let, let me, in other words, let me break this down for you. You got to get this picture. You got to get this picture. They have been, for the last two months, his enemies have been trying to stop this project. 
and they can't stop it. And this is the last ditch effort for them to stop the project. So they get a messenger to go and to, to, to approach Nehemiah and say, hey, come meet with us over in Ono, which my response would have been, oh, no, right? It's cheesy pastor joke. Sorry. It's whatever. Entertaining. Okay. 20 miles away from the project, they're trying to pull him away and to distract him. And here's why. Because they, the enemies kept trying to stop the labor, but they couldn't. So here's their thought. If we can't stop the labor, let's just distract the leader. I'm telling you, this is still the adversary, the enemy of the kingdom of God, the people of God. This is still the plan. Their plan is always to try to stop the labor, stop the kingdom from being built and being restored and being established in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, in the world. Why? Or how? Not by necessarily stopping just the labor, but by stopping leaders. A lot of times we see spiritual leaders that fall, not because they're evil, bad, corrupt people. They're good people. They love God, but there's a huge target on their back. Listen, never, never criticize someone that has fallen from a height you have yet to climb. A lot of times the enemy will try to, try to stop the work of God by stopping who? Man, the, the people that are leading this thing, the visionaries. I've seen so many pastors and spiritual leaders fall. Listen, good, God-fearing God-loving people that just, man, they got distracted. They got detoured, and the work got destroyed. And this was the plan of the enemy. If we can't stop the work, we're going to get Nehemiah. we got to just distract him. Keep going down. It says, but, this is what Nehemiah says, but they intended to do harm. And I sent messages to them saying, I love this. Gosh, this is good. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? while I leave it and come down to you. And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner every single time. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop for me to come and meet with you? Listen, here's the picture. The wall is almost totally rebuilt, and there's, I imagine there being like this ladder going up to where those doors, the last little finishing touches, a ladder up there, and I just imagine this guy, Nehemiah. He's just on the top of this ladder, and he's doing the final touches. And man, he's been so focused for two months, and he's almost wrapping up this project. The vision is coming to fruition. Everything that he saw in Babylon that God prophetically gave him, he's now looking, and he's seeing the wall is coming together. There's, a, there's joy and excitement being built. The, the vision is being completed, and now here comes this little messenger comes running up to the ladder. Hey, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. I imagine Nehemiah looking down like, what? What do you want? And this guy says, hey, listen, Sambala and Tobiah and Geshem, you know your friends, they're over in Ono, and they just want to have a quick board meeting with you. They, they just want to, they, could they take you to coffee? Could they take you to lunch? And I just imagine Nehemiah looking back, looking at the wall that had been being built for, for two months, faithfully, just clear vision, focused, like, if it doesn't add to it, it's a no. If it does, it's a yes. And him just thinking, you know what? The clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. You need to go back and you need to tell them, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop for me to come and meet with you? I am, listen, some of you, listen, you need to get a clear vision for what your relationships need to look like. And when you get that late night text from that dude, you need to text him back. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Amen from all the ladies. 
I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Why should this work stop for me to come and meet with you? You got to get a clear vision. Listen, Nehemiah, Nehemiah had a clear vision. Why? The clearer the vision, the fewer the options. If that guy would have ran up and said, hey, listen, Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem, they sent me over here to give you new and better doors that will be fortified and will help you with this. And Nehemiah maybe would have considered it because it was adding to the vision. But what they were inquiring was for him to come away from what he was working on, away from the work of God, away from the prophetic vision of God, and come down to what they were doing. And it was a scheme from the enemy. Listen, the enemy has a scheme for your life, for every area of your life. In the same way that God has a vision for every area of your life, the enemy of your soul has a scheme and a plan for every area of your life. And they're constantly at battle with one another. But if you get a clear vision for your finances, you get a clear vision for your family, you get a clear vision for your sexuality, you get a clear vision for every single area of your life. Listen, when the enemy comes in like a flood, because he will, the Bible says, when temptations are there, when trials are there, when tribulations are there, when things try to distract you from the wall that God is building in your life, you can with confidence and with bravery and with courage say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. I love that. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Could you say this with me? Just say, I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Come on, say it one more time. I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. You need to write that down. And you need, you need to let that become the mantra for your life. I think about, I think about there are times in my life because I have a, I have a vision uh, to have a healthy family and be in ministry. I have a vision for it. I've written down things around that. And I know that one of the things that will help me stay healthy in my soul and with my family is not to be out more than two to three nights, really two nights a week doing ministry and work so that I can be at home and enjoy a meal with my family and talk about highs and lows and, and share a moment together. This has become a value of ours. This is part of our vision. So, so you know, what? There's mini ministry is very demanding, okay? I'm going to tell you this. And some of you, you have jobs. They're very demanding. And, and you can almost justify just about anything, right? You can almost justify being away from your family or being away from home or whatever with just about anything. Well, you know, this person needs me to do this. This person needs me to do this. And it sounds so noble and so good. But listen, I've just decided I'm going to have to let some people down so that I don't let other people down. I'm going to have to say no to some people so I can say yes to the most important people in my life. And some people can get two days out of my week, but for the rest of the time, i got a clear vision. I want my kids to love me. I want my wife to love me. I don't want them to despise the church or to despise God because daddy was never home, because husband was never home. I got a clear vision, and sometimes I just got to say I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I may disappoint people. Listen, all of you, you know, I may disappoint you, okay? It's all right. Jesus disappointed Mary and Martha when Lazarus died. He's like, I'll get there when I get there. That brother's already dead. I'll be there one day going to get a lunch. <laughs> clear the vision. You got to have a vision for your, every area of your life. I remember I wrote down, uh, I had a, a mentor told me, he said, you need to write down a vision of what you want your wife to, to be like. I just wrote down, she got to be fine. That was it. I thought that was, <laughs> as long as it's general, it's not helpful. You can get fine and crazy, and that's a, that's a big issue. So that's, a, that's, a, that's a deal breaker right there. <clears throat> so I, I took Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, woman. I began to write down. I was like, ooh, that's good right there. Oh, that's good. And I began to craft a vision of what I wanted my wife to be like. And I remember being, being young, being, being 
17 years old, 18 years old, 19 years old, just going back to that vision. There are a lot of girls out there. There are a lot, a lot of girls. In Louisiana, that's where I grew up. I mean, there, there are a lot of really pretty ladies there. But I tell you what, I began to look at the options, and I had a few options. I had some options. I had some options. But as the vision got clearer, the options got fewer, the decision got easy. God never spoke to me and said, you need to marry Jennifer Bainham. He never did. But he gave me a prophetic vision of what could be and what should be true for the type of woman I would marry. And I began to clarify that. And the clearer that vision got, the options got fewer. It's the process of elimination. And I could just look at those other girls and say, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. You're not even an option. You look good, but I know you're crazy. You're not even an option. Clear the vision. Fewer the options. He's a decision. Look, when we were planning, our, when we were deciding about where we were going to plant our church, um, we had four different cities we were praying about. Now, when I tell you some of these, you're going to be like, thank God you didn't go there. And I even say that. Thank God. First was I was going to go back to Louisiana. Thank God I didn't go back there. Okay. I prayed about Dallas, Texas. I prayed about Austin, Texas. And I prayed about Orange County. So the fifth one was San Francisco. I prayed about those for years. And then I wrote, I remember writing this down. I want to be a part of a church. Can you put this on the screen? I want to be a part of a church that shapes a city in a city that shapes the world. I see us in an influential city that is shaping culture, technology, government, education, and business. A city that is creative and innovative. I see an urban city that is dense and diverse, beautiful and broken. This is a city where a life-giving church and the gospel of Jesus is needed desperately. So I see a church or I see a city where the poor, marginalized, forgotten, and broken are waiting for the church to step in and make a difference. I see, or I see a city that other church planners are not currently rushing towards. This is the city that I see. Thank God for Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but that's not, a, that's not a city that's shaping the world. I knew it wasn't an option. Thank God for Orange County, but that wasn't an option for me. Thank God for Dallas, Texas, but that wasn't an option. Thank God for all those places, and those places are great, and I have friends that have planted churches in those places. But when I begin to look at the vision, it just kind of began to narrow the focus. The options became a little bit less, and the decision became a lot easier. So how do you get that? How do you get vision for your life? I'm going to give you three things practically. And these are quick, so just write them down really quick. Number one, pray, inten pray intentionally. Pray, we begin to pray intentionally, not just saying, God, give me vision for my life, but we identified a few areas, key areas, our marriage, our family, our finances. I still do this. You know, it's not just like you do this one time and then you walk away from it. You go back to it. You keep praying about it. God, bring, give me more clarity in the vision. Proverbs 29 says, where there is no vision from God. See, it's, it's vision from God that people run wild. You need vision for your life from God. Listen, God just, he's just waiting for you to ask him for it. Just ask him. Psalm 5.3, David says, I, uh, every morning I, make, I, I pray and I make my request before you, Lord, and I wait expectantly. You know what he's saying? God hears our prayers and God responds to them. I want to encourage you, pick three to five areas your marriage, your family, your finances, and just be intentional and start praying, saying, God, give me vision. Just give me vision. Now, look, here, here's, here's the next one for you. Just write plainly. So pray intentionally, write plainly or clearly. Habakkuk 2.2 2 says, write 
the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Write down the vision. Write it, just write it plain. Write it clear. I gave you a couple examples right here. I wrote these down. You may want to do something like this. We want to be the type of parents that when our kids grow up, they want to always come back and spend time with us. It's a good vision to have for your family, right? Here's another one. I want to be the type of leader that people love to follow and whose lives are made better because of my leadership. How about this one? My vision for my finances is to tithe regularly, to spend wisely, to save aggressively, and to give generously. What a great vision, huh? My vision for my job in this season is to work the least amount of time, make the most amount of money to create margin for ministry. I tell our interns that all the time. Can I, can I, show, you, can I show you something I've been working on for our family? Can I show you this really quick? And I'll, I'll pray and dismiss. Do you have that? I've been working on this for our family. And we're going to post this all over our house. And I have a strategy for, for getting these values into our children. And, uh, but here, here it is. Our vision, Jennifer and I, our vision is to be the type of family that honors God and inspires people. As followers of Jesus, we will do our best to be teachable, generous, grateful, faithful, honest, and excellent servants of Christ. And these are the values right underneath here. Listen, I'm just trying to be as clear as possible. So whenever one of my sons, when I, when I catch them lying about something, I'll say, oh, wait, wait, what, what's the vision for our family and what are our values? Is that the Lairds are honest. We have integrity. We're honest. Be clear. The clearer the vision, the fewer the options. You want your family to just go off the rails? Don't have any vision for the life. You want your kids to just, just live however they want and just like you feel like a failure as a parent? Just don't have any vision. But the clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. Here's the last one is this. It's just act accordingly. That's it. It's pretty simple, right? Is take the vision and let that become the filter by which you make your decisions. You just begin to get a vision and then you let that become the grid and the filter that you filter all of your decisions through. You simply take it and you look at it and you say, God, is this, is this part of the vision? Because watch, here's what's going to happen. There are going to be times when you're going to have to make a decision and you're going to be very emotional and you're going you're gonna to have a, like, a, like a fog and you're like, I don't know what to do and your emotions are going to be high or you're going to have tons of options and you're like, I don't know what to do. Here's all you got to do. Go back to the vision. When the emotions are high and the options are many, just go back to the vision. And you'll be able to make a, a, a decision that will honor God and will bring some amazing results in your life. Amen? Here's, here's the, the final little thing for you. I, I, uh, I remember when Jennifer and I, in 2012, had to make the hardest decision. 2013 had to make the hardest decision of our life. We had been a part of a spiritual family, a church, uh, that we had flourished and grown in for essentially our whole lives. I mean, it was an amazing church. But there came a place where, where we needed to make a decision because it became an unhealthy environment for our family. We had to make a decision to transition to a new church, a new place. And so the word kind of got out a little bit that we were to some of the churches we were in a network with that we were potentially looking to transition to, to, to go somewhere else. And uh, we had never planned on that. Our, our plan was to always stay committed to one house because God works in the conspiracy of commitment. That's the place that he does his best work. It's when people are committed. I want to encourage you, be committed. If it's not our church, find a church. Be committed. 
We plan on never leaving. I, I, I was like, you're going to bury me on the back of the property at 19202 Highland Road. You're going to bury me here because this is my church. I'm committed to these people. But some things shifted, and, and, and we needed to get out of an unhealthy situation for us. And all of a sudden, because some friends found out about it, we had about six great church, churches offering us positions to come on staff at their church. Can I tell you that the more options that we had, it became so difficult to make a decision because they were all good churches. They were all good opportunities. Actually, they were great opportunities. And I remember calling a friend, an older, an older gentleman that had been in ministry for a long time, and I said, I just don't know what to do. Emotionally, I'm very wounded, and this is a hard decision to make. I feel like I don't want to ruin my life and make a bad decision, so emotionally I'm hurt, and I don't want to make a decision out of frustration. And number two, I got a lot of options. What should I do? And I thought he was going to say, go to this church, but he didn't because he's a smart leader. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to break away with your wife and for two days or for a day, two days. I want you to pray, and I want you to ask these three questions. And don't just ask each other. Ask God. Number one, what type of church do I see our family growing up in? What type of leadership do I see myself serving under? And what type of contribution do I want to make at that church? And he told me this. You get a clear vision of that, and then your options are going to get fewer. Your decision is going to get easy. We got together and we began to pray about that. And I remember, I still have the document. I should have brought it here. It says, what type of church do we see our family being a part of? And line upon line, we just begin to write down bullet point, bullet point, bullet, of, of exactly what we could see ourselves being a healthy environment for our family. I began to write down the type of leadership I wanted to serve under, line upon line, authentic, integrity, approachable, accept, Like I began to write down those things, the type of contribution I want to make at that church. And I tell you what, although we had six really good options, the options got a lot fewer and the decision got a lot easier. It wasn't an easy decision, but it was a lot easier. Why? Because the clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. Amen. Come on, why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, God, we can read something that was written thousands of years ago and yet it's still so relevant, so rich, and it can speak to our lives. And God, I thank you that the greatest vision you could ever give us is not just for our relationships or marriage or family or our business, but the greatest vision you could give us is a vision of Jesus. That you could show us who Jesus is and how much he loves us, what he's done for us on the cross, how he laid his life down for us in our place, took on our brokenness so that we could be made whole. And God, we can see Jesus when we can get that picture of who he is and what he has done for us, God, it just changes everything. Right now, God, I thank you that you're, just, you're, you're speaking to people. You're showing them right now how much you love them. You're speaking to their hearts right now. And with every head bow and every eye closed, let me just ask you this. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with, with God? Because he wants to have that with you. He doesn't want you just to show up at a church every once in a while and to be honest, it's not even about just church attendance. It's really about being in a real relationship with God through the person Jesus. The Bible says all you have to do is you just have to confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says whoever calls upon his name, that he will save them, he'll forgive them, he'll give them a fresh start. And I'm not going to have you stand or raise your hand or come down to the front, but if that's you, I do want to pray with you. Maybe you could pray a prayer, something like this. This is what I prayed when I was about 18 years old. I committed to becoming a follower of Jesus. I said this. Maybe just say this in your heart. Jesus, today I commit my life to you. Give me a vision, your vision for my life. 
forgive me of my past, my sin, my failure. Today I ask you to give me a new start, a fresh start, a new beginning. Today I commit my life to you. I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week on the podcast or live in San Francisco, California. Keep up with life at Sozo Church by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.